Well, thank you guys for joining us again today with Pursuit of Purpose. I'm Robbie. This is I'm Chuck. And today we have with us a very special guest. I'm going to let him introduce himself and tell us a little bit about him. Uh, my name is Dean Brinkley. I'm a local attorney in Beaumont, Texas with a law firm called the Brinkley Law Firm. Very good. Mm-hmm. So how long have you been practicing law? Almost 30 years now. Wow. Mm-hmm. Well, you don't look that old. <laughs> 30 years is a long time to be in the uh, in the law profession. Right. Uh, so you must enjoy it. Yes, I do very much. Yeah, so, because I'm meeting my purpose now. Very good. So where were you born? I was, I'm, I'm from Nederland, Texas. I was born at St. Mary's Hospital over in Port Arthur. Yeah. And uh, have um, been a resident here mo- most of my life. We moved away after school for about seven years and came back. Okay. All right. So what sort of uh, home environment did you grow in, Well, grow up in? I was in, uh... very lucky. I've got um, two wonderful parents, mom and dad, uh, Pat and Linda Brinkley. They live in Needland in the same house that I grew up in. Uh, 82 and 80 years old. Wow. Um, yeah. Been married for, gosh, I'm 58 now, so about 60 years, you know. Wow. That's pretty lucky that way. Yes, very lucky much so. Yes, I've got a brother named Dan and a sister named Carrie. We're all very close. Uh, Dan and his family live in the area. Carrie and her family live in Leander, close to Austin, Texas. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Very familiar with yeah. Leander. Yeah. 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 So, where do you fall in amongst y'all three? I'm the uh, oldest. Ah, yes. They never let me forget it. Right. <laughs> well, you paved the way for them, so yeah. they should be grateful. <laughs> they yeah. should be grateful. You, you sort of blazed the trail and left yeah. the path for them to walk down, right. if they so choose. Yeah. So, what was it like growing up in your home? And, and oh, first of all, what's the gap between you and them? Yeah, so um, I'm the oldest. I'm 58. Dan is about 56 years old, and Carrie is about seven years younger than me. So she's, you know, 50, 51. Okay. Um, our house was probably not unlike many middle class people. Um, dad uh, went to, dad was a Needleman graduate as well, okay. played football for Needleman, went and played college football. Had a lot of success. Okay. Uh, ended up going to University of Texas at El Paso and okay. kind of finishing his mm-hmm. um, football career there. Mm-hmm. And then he came back to Lamar University and finished his degree. Mm-hmm. And one of the funny stories in our family is um, my mom, uh, they dated all through high school. He goes through college. They dated. And she says, if we're not married by February the 1st, then I'm out. Well, their wedding day was January the 31st. So oh, my goodness. So I always think that he was yes. getting close. But wow. Anyway. Um, oh, nothing know. like an ultimatum, Dad. <laughs> I love it. Dad threw uh, that Hail Mary. Yes, he did. I think, I, I think that came after he gave her for Christmas a small box that she thought was a ring, and it ended up being an electric razor. Oh, <laughs> oh man. Oh, that is awesome. Dad, come yeah. on, man. Yeah. <laughs> but at any rate, um, you know, when we first, I guess when we were little kids, mom stayed home with us and dad uh, worked and he was in sales and marketing okay. in the grocery industry. He worked for, at the time, a company called General Foods. Oh, yeah. And then um, through the course of time, my mom went to work as a secretary at a at Park Place Hospital for the guy that was in charge of human resources. Mm. Well, fast forward to when she retired, she ended up becoming the vice president of human resources for Memorial Herman. Wow. And uh, ended her career as a VP. 
Uh, never went, had a little bit of formal education, but not much. Just worked her way up. Love that. Know? At one point, she was the interim administrator at Doctors Hospital after they had lost their administrator. So, mm-hmm. you know, our family, the dynamics changed a little bit after we became a dual income family, you mm-hmm. know. Absolutely. But for the most part, we just had a normal childhood dad was our coach in sports and we they went to everything we did and yeah uh, we had a really safe kind of nice uh family i guess Good. growing up yeah well i'm curious about something yeah. uh go back to when say you were about 15 years old and, okay. and at at the age with you 15 you had all three of y'all living yeah. in the house and I, i'm curious what was mealtime like well um at that point Mom made it a point to cook every night, so we were always faced with a, you know, kind of a full course meal. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and it was probably not unlike most families were getting home from football practice or baseball practice yeah. or whatnot. And we're trying to eat and, and they're barking at us about homework and trying to get everybody oriented for the next day. And and just, you know, then then maybe at eight o'clock, you sit down and watch something on TV. And by 10 o'clock, it's time to go to bed. Right. And we're barked at, you know, hey, you guys got to get ready for bed. And have you brushed your teeth? You've taken a shower. I mean, you can just imagine it's pretty, pretty normal day to day life, you know. Right. Right. Mm-hmm. And I, yeah, I look back on it now, and I, I kind of appreciate it. You Absolutely, know, there was, it was just not there was so much normalcy and not a lot of drama yeah. that was really going on. I mean, we had the the typical drama that most families do, hmm. uh, but you know, I, I'd say day to day, it was just it felt very normal and safe and just uh, kind of easy, you know. Good in retrospect. Good. All right, well, get ready because yeah. you're about to tell off on a, on yeah. mom and dad. Yeah. What was discipline like in the home, especially since you were the oldest? Yeah. Mm. So I, I was an oldest as well, and I have my own stories. But how was that? How was discipline? Okay. So um, my dad, if you've got, if you got to look at him, even today, he's he's a big guy. I mean, okay. he played football. He's big, muscular guy, but. He's a softy. Dad, he's I'm kind of I kind of fall into his footsteps. Okay. He didn't really like the idea of disciplining us. It, it was it was something he had to do, you know. Okay. And so most of the time it was really more like a lot of like yelling at you, you know, you're messing up, you better get it right, kind of thing. <laughs> but we didn't have a, there wasn't a lot of spankings or anything. Every now and then we would get uh, get a spanking and whatnot. I remember one time we went to Astro World. And they they bought us like the little the wooden bats, and I I made the mistake of getting this wooden paddle, you know, that said Astro World on it. Well, that became Dad's choice instrument for giving us licks <laughs> if we had to give us licks. So he would warn us, you know, okay, man, this you're gonna have to get licks for this one. And we'd go to our room and we'd kind of prep, you know, and he'd come in there and he'd give us a couple of licks. And I remember, I guess when we were about 13 years old, um, he was gonna give us licks. And he came in there and he gave us a lick and it broke the paddle. And he goes, well, I, I guess it's over. You know, no more licks. And so from then on. If you would have known that ahead of time, you would have broke it. No prevented. So from then on, no licks. It no was pretty licks. much, you know, your you know, punishment or yeah. just what, whatever, yeah. you know, they could do to kind of just straighten us out. Sure. No, no. I, I could tell there was no um, formal plan about how to deal with this. Right. Kid, you know? Right. Um, I guess I was always so guilty feeling about <laughs> doing bad things that I, I tried to, you know, do the right thing. Most sure. Of the time. Sure. Um, but anyway, it yeah. sounds like all of your siblings were a lot like that. We were 
pretty much in line and, and got. No, I'd say so. Yeah. I'd say so. Uh, none of us got in a lot of lot of serious trouble. Yeah. We, uh, we we you know hid things well or um or or just you know didn't do a whole lot of stuff to get in trouble. Sure, sure. No, that that's great. It sounds like you had a a, a well structured and balanced home life would you say so in retrospect i would say so you know i think that um everybody's perspective is different absolutely and me probably have a little bit different perspective about things than my sister did because um dan and i were both in sports and dad was our coach and so we were always in baseball football and kind of doing those things and dad was with us doing that Mm -hmm. um carrie was a little more you know not into those things. And so she had a little bit different, um, I guess, uh, way of growing up, you mm-hmm. know, because she didn't have the regiment that we had of going to those things. Right. Uh, in fact, she ended up not going to Needler. She ended up going to one of the local Christian schools. And oh. that's kind of where she graduated from. Okay. So it was a little bit, probably a little different from, from both of us. But I would say overall, if you asked anybody, um, it was it was kind of a normal middle class situation that we were in with two parents you know yeah Yeah. uh so when it came to obviously to the prep years which was high school it seems like with the discipline obviously uh schools are very uh, important um what kind of conversations did your parents have with with the three of you about what was going to happen after high school what was yeah what was their loving general pressure on that well um Mom and Dad's expectation for each of us was a little bit different, I think. Um, I ended up uh, doing pretty good in school. I had an aptitude for for education. And so they just anticipated that I would go to college. Okay. But, you know, when I look back on it, it was sort of interesting how it all played out because um, it was like I never had a choice otherwise. It was like, okay, well, you're going to college. We just, when you get through high school, you just, you got to take the SAT. You got to get ready to go to school. Mm. And it was like, you know, and mom was real instrumental at that time in in helping me to do the things I needed to do, like to register for school. Hey, you know, you got to register. The other thing was um, there was never really discussion about where you're going to go. They're going, they were like, you're going to Lamar and, you know, just, um, well, you got to take the SAT and then you register for classes on this day and just get ready to go. And I, I never really thought about it. I was like, okay, well, I guess that's what I'm doing then. I'm going to Lamar. Okay. And that's exactly what happened. You know, I just, I, she could woke me, woke me up one day at six o'clock and said, hey, you got to take the SAT today. I'm like, oh, okay. And I went and took the SAT. Yeah. And next thing I know, I'm in fall classes, you know, in orientation. Wow. Okay. So, um, there was just an expectation that that, yes. that was what I was going to do. And it was ingrained in you. It wasn't really like forced or... No, or no. Like, I just I just accepted that's what I was doing. That's so fascinating. Yeah. Came along, Dan. He actually, when we were younger, Dan actually, we had a guy test us on IQ, mm-hmm. and uh, Dan's claim to fame is always that he's got a higher IQ than I do, which he does, <laughs> and he's a smart guy. But Dan never liked school. Okay. So he went to Lamar, and he just sort of, you know, muddled through a little bit. He got close. I think he's like 36 hours away mm. from having his his bachelor's degree. Okay. But he, he goes to mom and dad and says, I'm miserable. I'm never going to like this. This is not what I want to do. Mm. And they said, what do you want to do? And he says, I'm going to go into the electrician's union. I think I would enjoy that. So Dan... Joe gets a, gets accepted in the electrician's union, goes, is one of the top students there, gets out, and he is thriving. I mean, he is doing so good. Went to work for GM up in Arlington, came back home, and he's working for Motiva now, and just okay. he's doing great. 
Um, Carrie is more like me. She was more, uh, had more of an aptitude for education, mm -hmm. but she took a little bit different path than I did. She tried to go for a little bit, went, went off to Florida and got like a, got like an associate's degree at a place called Full Sail in sound engineering. Well, and she got to do some interesting things. She traveled around, went to Europe, and did some things okay. with that degree, but it really wasn't um, providing her the opportunities that she wanted. So she goes to work for Dell and starts rising up through the ranks in Dell. While she's there, she goes ahead and finishes her undergraduate degree. Okay. So she's now got her undergraduate degree and um, is contemplating at this point, you know, going ahead and getting a master's degree. But uh, she's been working, she worked her way up into uh, in Dell and then ended up going to work for Apple, and is is that's where she's at right now. Okay. Of the, wow. Yeah. That is where is she located working for Apple? In Leander, and uh, she's at there with that location there. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Well, that is amazing. Mm -hmm. So you got a lawyer, an electrician, mm -hmm. and somebody in the tech industry. Yeah. That is a wide variety of life paths yeah. for the three of y'all. Yeah. Uh, that's that's pretty fascinating, and all three of you based on what you've said, mm -hmm. are thriving. Mm -hmm. Yes, that's uh, the one thing I would say. That is that is amazing. That's a huge testimony mm -hmm. to your your parents creating mm -hmm. a very positive and healthy environment for you guys. Yeah. Uh, and the type of structure that they did create was, was a big proponent in y'all's life. I find it interesting that um, even if you take all five of you, even all five of you have different careers. Yeah, right. dad was in sales, mm -hmm. mom was in administration, yeah. and then and then you you know law and electrician yeah. and then tech. Uh, that that I, I like that. I think that's interesting. Mm -hmm. That way, there's not that that pressure. Well, I'm a physician. You have to be a physician yeah. type. Be like, no, just follow wherever your heart takes you. I tried dad's path for a little while. Okay, when I, when I left Lamar University. Uh, ended up going to work for the Quake Roads Company, mm. which was very similar to what he did. Yeah, absolutely. And I had a little experience with it. Dad had got me a job with this food company as a merchandiser, so I had some experience in the grocery industry. And and I really I really uh, liked the grocery industry to some degree. But uh, I ended up going to work for Quake Roads, went to El Paso and worked there like as a kind of a retail sales guy. Mm -hmm. And then I got a promotion to go to El Amarillo. And I worked as a direct account rep where you're calling on the people who provide the the, the food and stuff to the grocery stores. Mm -hmm. And I was on the verge of going to, they were going to promote me to move to Dallas to go to work there when I announced that I was going to go to law school. Mm -hmm. So I had about three and a half years or so mm -hmm. of, uh, of the grocery industry. And I just realized that it really wasn't doing it for me. I just, yes. I, I, I appreciated what they did and I, I liked the job was a good job, it was a good company, mm -hmm. but I could tell it wasn't really getting me, It was I wasn't being fulfilled in what I was doing. Mm -hmm. And then I, there was, I had a greater purpose than that. And uh, one day my wife and I were out to dinner and she had just, I, bless her heart, I drug her around. She was at my mom when we met. I dragged my wife to El Paso and she goes to, to UTEP for a little while. Then I dragged her to Amarillo. And so finally she graduates uh, at West Texas A&M mm -hmm. out there. And we're talking about what are we going to do? We're going to go, and we're excited about her graduating. I said, you know, I should have gone to law school. And she goes, well, go. And I was like, nice. Well, you know, I had every excuse in the world why I couldn't go. Well, you know, blah blah blah. Well, I come home from work, and she like has gone to the library. We didn't have the internet back then. Mm -hmm. She's gone to the library. She says, look. 
Here's here's when the S the LSAT is available to you. Here's the Kaplan course that you can take to study for it. Here's the schools that offer you know uh, spring. You can start the spring at these schools. And I'm like, well, I guess I have to take it now. She's she's gone to all this trouble, right? Wow. And, and that's kind of what that's kind of how it all started. She knew you. She's like, yes, I'm gonna I'm gonna just peel off every excuse that my husband can make, <laughs> and he is going to pursue this dream. That's exactly what she. So did. that's how your law career basically started. Mm -hmm. That's that's it. Good. For, what is your wife's first name? Her name is Margaret. Margaret did it, man. Yeah. She's like, no, this is gonna happen. She reminds me periodically of that. <laughs> I love it. Well, she's a keeper. There's no doubt yeah, about indeed. that. Indeed. Uh, indeed. That is amazing. Yeah. So you y'all got married relatively early. We did. Uh and how long have y'all been? We've been married for 35 years now. Wow. Uh, we were uh Margaret and I met at Lamar. Um we met when we were both about, you know, she was two years younger than me. Mm. And we met pretty early on. We were just friends. We just knew each other's acquaintances and friends. And in fact, she used to set me up with her roommates and stuff for, for dates. Really? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> for different things. But yeah. we were just we were just good friends. And we ended up uh, moving into the same apartment complex over at Cardinal Square Apartments mm -hmm. back in the day. Mm -hmm. And uh, her and her friends lived in one apartment. Me and my friends lived in one apartment. And so we it got to where we just always ran around together and always hung out together. And yeah. you know how that goes. I mean, yeah, one thing went to another and we realized that um we were more of a match than we maybe thought and so we started dating and then she was 21 and i was 23 just getting out of college when we got married okay which seems crazy but it didn't work well out. 35 years is proof that it wasn't that crazy is, that's right yeah. that is amazing i have one question just to rewind a little tiny bit uh in your in your house household uh as a child in y'all's family what was the uh religious activities like i don't our religious activity was very interesting because we grew up, both my mom and my dad were Methodist, okay? And uh, if you know anything about liturgical churches, people go to churches forever and their family has a, a bench they always sit on and whatnot. And so uh, mom and dad were members at First Methodist Church in Needleman. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, we were probably not unlike a lot of people that— Believed in God, believed that Jesus was his son, went to church, and so we'd go. Sometimes we would go a lot, and then there would be periods where we wouldn't go, you know. Yeah. So it was like kind of a yo yo thing. It wasn't as much of a priority back then as it probably should have been. Okay. Um, but then something happened. Mom worked for a lady. And she was Pentecostal, kind of a kind of a um, not UPC Pentecostal, mm -hmm. but Pentecostal. Mm -hmm. And it invited mom and it invited mom to come to church and would pray with her about the things that they were concerned about. So mom starts going to this Pentecostal church. Now, for the rest of us in the family, it was just it seemed too radical. You know, they were very radical in their belief. They were very radical in the way that they approached their the, their faith. And so I was kind of turned off by it. You know, I was like, ooh, this isn't really for me. But mom was really into it. And then something happened. I don't know exactly what happened, but something happened and she kind of left that church. And so, um, you know, I felt like, okay, good. I'm, I'm out of that. You know, I don't have to worry about that anymore. But there was something that continued to fuel me and, and kind of, I think I need to do something. I need more. Because I, when I was 10 years old, I had been invited to a church camp one summer 
by a lady named Shirley McWilliams. I'll always be indebted to her for that. She and Kelly and I were friends. We played baseball together. And she um, invited me to go to this church camp with Kelly. And one night, I'm sitting in this auditorium, and the guy on the stage is saying, you don't have to be afraid to die. You don't have to be afraid. There's something beyond death that you can have. And he was giving us the salvation message. And mm-hmm. and I had been sitting there for two days. And, and all this on this day, there was something that was just compelling me to go down to the front. So I did. I went down to the front. And I feel like that was probably whenever I kind of committed my life to the Lord. But to be honest with you, that age... You don't really know kind of what that means and kind of what it entails and coming back home and then not be, not having a um, environment where we were promoting faith, you know, on a regular basis. Yeah. I didn't really know what to do with it. And so I kind of, I kind yeah. of floundered for many years, just, just, just knowing it was there and having this relationship but not really fostering that relationship until um, I got into high school and then I started walking. We had this little Methodist church, Wesley Methodist Church, kind of right behind my house. And so I started just kind of walking to church and going. Now, by all, but to be honest, there was a girl there. Ah, uh, yes. And so that was that was the impetus for doing that. We always need a motivation. <laughs> yeah. So I was doing that. Next thing you know, my parents start going. Okay. You know, and so okay. we're going to church and. Then um, mom and dad started going to cathedral. And I think that's when they really started, you know, when they started going to cathedral. Uh, by this time, I'm, by the time they started doing that, I'm, I'm now in college and, and I'm kind of doing my own thing. And, and mm. frankly, to be honest with you, not living for the Lord. Okay. Knowing that he's there. Right. Knowing that, that, I'm, you know, that, I, that I've got issues that I need to resolve with him because I'm, I'm, I'm not living like I'm supposed to be living. Right. Mm. And so I've kind of got one foot in and one foot out, you know, and I'm kind of I'm kind of trying to live my life the way I want to live it and doing stuff I'm not supposed to do. But then I'm going back to God and say, don't give up on me, please. Don't, you know, please don't. Dancing on the line. Yes. And I I got in, we'll talk about it later, but I got into children's ministry and youth ministry primarily because I think that God looked at that moment that I went down there when I was 10 years old. And I think he said, you're mine and I'm not going to let you go. Wow. And he and all this time that I'm yeah. screwing up and messing up, he's got his hand on me. Yeah. And kind of lead me to the the moment that I finally said, I give in, I surrender. Well, I yeah. believe that's very likely yeah. true. What a beautiful testament to your journey. Yeah, to get to that point. So the good news is mm-hmm. now mom, you know, um mom back in the nineties, I guess back in the early nineties, she had what I would call a near death experience. Okay. Right? And she almost died, and she had this epiphany during that moment when she was in the in the struggle between life and death. Um, she had this sense that if she came, if she would come back, as opposed to letting it, letting herself go, that that she had she had work to do. That there were people in her family that needed to be saved. Okay, and so. She, you know, she survived. And um, today I can tell you that my brother, my sister, my dad, my mom, everybody in our immediate family is saved. You know, they've all accepted Jesus and are, and are, are serving the Lord. Wow. So, uh, yes. you know, that kind of worked out. So That's now true. after all of that that happened, everybody's, you know, doing well and uh, and they're they're saved Christians now. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that, that is, is beautiful. beautiful. Yeah. Yes. Thank you for that. Sure. Yeah. That is. Thank you for sharing very yeah. much. Uh, mm-hmm. Uh, I, I love to watch how 
a simple question can evolve into yes. a testimony of life. Mm -hmm. uh, so thank you. Thank you so much for sharing. So as I said with that last one, we, yeah. we rewound a little bit. Yeah. And I'm really glad we did. So let's go back forward again. Okay. So you and your wife. Y'all have gotten married. She put you in law school. We're going to go ahead and own that. Yeah. Uh, she put you in law school. <laughs> yeah. Uh, if she's listening, we we give her all that credit. Margaret. And well, then, yeah. Uh, yeah. So, <laughs> yeah. So here we are. How'd you do in law school? Uh, not to, yeah. you know, put your business out in the street or anything like that. But how did that go for you? Okay. So whenever, you know, if you think about it, when I went to law school, I'm a little older than average. I've been out of school for four years now. Mm. And so... I know that there's a lot on the line. I've got, I'm, I took it very seriously. Okay. And so what happened is um, there were several schools that we could have gone to. Um, we were looking for a school that met certain criteria. It had, we wanted to start in the spring. I didn't want to wait till the fall. Okay. So I needed, a, I needed a school that would let you start in the spring. Mm -hmm. um, I was looking for a school that I could go to school and work if I wanted to. Mm -hmm. Okay. And so, and also we had to go to a place where my wife could find a job mm -hmm. and we were trying to also look for places that seemed safe, you know, because we were all, we we're both from little small towns. Yeah, you know, right. We can't move there. There's, there's the murder capital of the world, you know? So we had sort of criteria. So we started looking at various schools and um, got accepted to several schools and we, we landed on Tulsa. There's a school in Tulsa, Oklahoma, University of Tulsa. Mm -hmm. I'd never heard of it before, yeah. but I started reading up. Yeah. And I'm like, the hurricanes. Yeah, there you go. The yeah. hurricanes. Mm -hmm. And she got a job at a place called Hillcrest Center for Women's Health. Huh. And she ended up becoming a, a lactation specialist and childbirth specialist. And wow. was able to do, yeah. you know, teach people Lamans and teach people about the yeah. childbirth and whatnot. So she got that job and we decided we're going to go to Tulsa. So we go to the University of Tulsa, get accepted. We were in. Um, I decided the first semester that I wouldn't work. I, we had, you know, we were able to to manage without me working, and so I could get my feet kind of wet. Mm -hmm. Well, it went it went great before we because I we really I realized how important it was. So I committed myself. This is my job. I'm just going to study. I'm going to study. I ended up meeting some great guys. A bunch of guys from Texas, believe it or not, were going there as well. Okay. Like me, they had come out of you know professions. They were they were um, the, the same age as me. Right. We had the same kind of attitude about school. And so they were my study buddies. And we okay. would get together and we would study and we worked together um, to create outlines and whatnot. And we all did really well. Um, as, as when we got down to the end of law school, I had been on the, I'd been published twice in our law journal, uh, top 5%, got the order of the Curel chair, which I found out was their, the honor they bestow on their graduates that meet certain criteria. Okay. So we, I had what I consider to be a really successful law school experience. Yeah. You know? Sounds like it. I'd say, yeah, it, it worked out. It worked out good. It made, made your resume look good. I guess you'd say. Right. Sorry. You know. Sounds good from this side of the right. you know, story. So, so I'm going to assume, mm -hmm. based on that story, that you graduated, yeah, really well in your class. Honors, uh, yes, honors, okay, top five percent. You know, law, you know, law journal published and all that kind of stuff. So, as far as like law school experiences go, you know, it, I thought, okay, this was this workout, this was a success, mm -hmm. you know. And now you got to go find a job. And right. That was well, the next step. And, and uh, if I may. Yeah. Um, so you're from Texas. Don't right. know if there was the and both of you are from Texas. Mm -hmm. Don't know if the intent was to come back to Texas, but you graduated in Oklahoma. How does that mm -hmm. work with being, yeah, uh, I guess, the bar in Oklahoma, the bar in Texas? How, 
How do you get back here, I suppose? That's a good question. And so, so what happened is, while I'm in law school, I decided that I want I might want to go into the Air Force or the Army JAG. And so I had um, really, I had full intentions of doing just that. I was... Um, uh, had gone and met with the you know some commanders had and had gotten accepted mm-hmm. into the JAG, which at the time wasn't really easy to do. Um, they said, okay, look, you know, all you got to do is pass your medical. Uh, tell us where you want to go, and when you pass the bar, call us back, and we'll you know we'll be ready to go. Mm-hmm. Well, in the meantime, my wife gets pregnant, has a baby, and so now I've got a I've got a brand new baby. Okay. So it gets time for us. I'm graduating law school. I'm getting ready to take the bar. I'm reaching out to the military. And and, uh, and at this time, they're sending people over to Iraq. Okay. Mm-hmm. And uh, they're telling me that I'm going to be at some base in southern Mississippi and that there's a chance that I'm going to be deployed for 10 months or so to Iraq as a, as a lawyer. You know, so my wife's like, I don't know about this, you know. I don't know about us going to, um, you know, going to um, uh, going to Mississippi and you leaving us there for ten months with a new baby and stuff. Mm-hmm. So at that time, I had um, I was either preparing to or I had taken the Oklahoma bar, but I had at, at some point I had passed the Oklahoma bar mm-hmm. and uh, in the in thinking that I was going to go into the military, and then we kind of pivoted and decided, no, we're not going to do that. So I said, well, if we're not going to do that, then let's go home and see if I can find a job. So I scheduled a weekend. We came home. I interviewed at four or five places, had some offers, and I decided, I picked a job. And I said, okay, well, I've, I've, I've secured a job now. We're, we're going to go home. But that means i got to take the Texas bar now. So I turned around and like took, I had just taken the a bar, took the Texas bar and you know passed it, and then started working uh, my, my first job okay. here at home. When we moved back home, it was kind of funny. Um we didn't know where we were going to live or anything. And so we didn't really have the money or the time to come back to look for a place. So my mom called me one day and says, hey, I went and looked at this place. You can, It's on Avenue E. You can rent it. You know, Here's what it's going to cost you and everything. I said, what did you like it? She goes, it'll be fine. Don't worry about it. I said, okay. Yeah. So we rented it sight unseen, you know, mom's mom's blessing. And stuff. Yes. <laughs> so that's we just moved on to a house we'd never seen before. Right. Moved in. Right. Giddy up. Well, I've got a question for yeah. you. Uh Okay, so you graduate, top five percent of your class. You turn down being in the JAG. Mm-hmm. You you've got all these accomplishments, right? That's what all of these things are in my mind. These are accomplishments, achievements, okay. high achievements. You come back here, you apply for a job. What is that like? What is the job? What job did you take? Okay, yeah, sure. So um, I had a, there were at the time that I came back to Beaumont. The mass tort industry was still just on fire. Mm-hmm. The asbestos litigation, mm-hmm. the silica litigation was really on fire. Mm-hmm. So there were people looking for people to, to work in that industry. Okay. So I had applied for a, several different jobs. One one funny thing that happened is I applied for this one job with a firm that did mainly plaintiffs type work, you know, auto accident cases, mm-hmm. things like that. And it's with a pretty high profile. Uh, well, he's he's gone now, but at the time he was considered pretty high profile, well known, you know, lawyer. And um, his one of his guys interviewed me, and we're like, oh yeah, man, we'd love to have you, man. This will be great. You know, all you got to go is do is meet with Mister So and So, and and you get you meet with him, and and we're good to go. You know, just come back on Monday, and we'll put you to work. I'm like, oh, okay, well, I got a job. 
So I come back and I meet with this fellow and he's like, um, oh, he goes, I know I've known your dad and everything for a long time, you know. I'm like, okay. And so before all this happened, I told my dad about it. He goes, oh, yeah, I see that guy at the gym all the time, you know. So I'm thinking the guy believes that he knows my dad from the gym. Mm. I said, well, yeah, my dad said he knows you. And well, we get to talking and I, I, I realize that he thinks my dad is on the Board of Regents for the University of Texas. Oh. And I'm like, no, you got the wrong guy. Oh. You know, my dad is this guy who knows you from the gym. Because, oh, well, man, thank you for coming in. If we ever have an opening, I'll let you know. I'll, just like that. Oh, wow. So, man. I'm like, well, okay, well, that didn't work out. But wow. I had, so I had called one of the other guys that interviewed me. Really good, really good guy that interviewed me and uh, had offered me a job. And so okay. I went to work for a firm called Harris, Lively, and Doosler. I think it was it had another name at the time, but that was the what it became at some point, you okay. know, and became um, uh, an asbestos lawyer. I guess okay. you say, and did okay. that for about four years. Okay. See, I would have thought that you'd have been in high demand with your, you know, accolades that you had achieved. Well, there was a there was a lot of opportunities. There was yeah. there was different there were places in Oklahoma that had offered me jobs, but frankly, the wages in Oklahoma were a lot lower than they were in Texas. Okay. And so we just felt like we couldn't afford to stay there at the wages that they were offering. Right. And so we, um, when we came back home and, and interviewed, there I had I had op, I had options. Good to work. But to be honest with you, um, I had at, in Tulsa when I was going through law school, I made it a point to work at a big law firm. Mm -hmm. I made it a point to work at a small law firm, and I made it a point to work at a government entity. So I worked for the I worked for the Tulsa Airport Authority. Okay. I worked for a big law firm, and I, the last job I had was for a smaller law firm. And um, I really saw how they operated, how the lawyers kind of the the, the pressures they were under for in each of those circumstances. And I really felt like I fit more in the smaller law firm category. Okay. I didn't feel like I was wanted to get into big law firm politics and right. and do what was required to be in the big law firm. Stuff and so, and you know that kind of um, uh, I guess affected my decision making about which job to take and yeah. where to go. Yeah. It's pretty smart to that look is. at it that way. Yeah, mm -hmm. uh, yeah, and, yeah. It was almost like you were you were interviewing the industry as much as they were interviewing you. You were interviewing them. Sure. And uh, uh, because obviously in law, um, it's not quite as uh, as pigeonholed as we would presume. There's tons of different kinds of law. And matter of fact, your practice now, and we'll talk about that more in just a moment, is uh, is definitely different from the tort. You know, you're a whole different industry. Correct. Maybe we'll learn a little bit more about. Uh, maybe just go and tell us now. How did that evolve from you know from yeah. those type firms to what you do today? Well, and what do you do today? What do you do today? Sure. Yeah. Well, for the like I said, for the first four years of my career, I worked for this firm and. Primarily, I was doing mass tort litigation. I was. We had this one company that we uh, serviced all over the state of Texas. So I'm going. I'm driving and flying all over Texas, taking depositions, going to hearings, going to mediations, just doing all that. Well. Can I ask you, I'm sorry to interrupt you, but you say a word and for our audience yeah. and for those of us who are not in your industry, sure. mass tort litigation, is that uh, like... Uh, a class action lawsuit or is that okay so what happened is um people in this area that worked at the refineries and worked <laughs> at the shipyards and in various other places mm -hmm. um got exposed to asbestos and got exposed to silica products okay. mm -hmm. and as it turns out um the 
a lot of the companies, a lot of the manufacturers knew or should have known that this product was dangerous for people. Okay. And so a lot of people got really sick. I mean, I've got even my my father-in-law died of an asbestos-related uh, cancer. Hmm. My grandfather died of an asbestos-related cancer. Hmm. Okay. You know, so I bet you if you guys uh, talk to your family and friends, you know somebody who yeah, was exposed to yeah. asbestos yeah. Yeah. who had an illness. And so... Uh, the law firms like Provost Humphrey, uh, Rio Morgan Quinn, um, some of the other big law firms that are in the area began to take on clients that were injured from these things and began to sue uh, people who manufactured asbestos products, people who uh, used them at their refining, in the refineries, the shipyard or not. Absolutely. And so you have it's a mass tort because you have a mass number of people who have these problems and they put they have these you know they have these lawsuits and these groups of people mm-hmm. that end up suing these companies and so um you know i'm the company i represented i'm one of you know maybe 60 or 70 defendants in these cases and, the, and there may be a thousand plaintiffs that are kind of suing your your client mm-hmm. and it's all about trying to resolve those claims and figuring out what injury they had and what their claim was worth and trying mm-hmm. to get paid and so that, that's when I say mass toward. That's okay. what you're kind of okay. talking about. Sorry to derail you from your story, but yeah. please continue. The uh, So we were learning uh, a bit about how you uh, you worked in that industry for a bit, and then you evolved into what you do now. So what do you do now? Okay. What is your, what is your so, discipline? What, so what happened is, while I was at the initial that firm, mm-hmm. we also did insurance defense, where insurance companies like Farmers Insurance, State Farm, okay. would hire us to defend their insurers that got in a car wreck. Mm, so, okay. So I had a little experience doing that. So in about four years, my boss at the time comes to me and says, look, sorry to tell you this, but the asbestos industry is kind of waning down. We've got some concerns about it. You know, I'm going to have to let you go. So, you know, you're kind of like, oh, my God, I'm getting I'm getting laid off. You yeah. Know? And so um, very, very nervous times i've i've got a wife i've got two kids at this time i've got school loans you know i'm like what in the world you know what am i gonna do so as it turns out it kind of was a god thing because um i ended up i had to i had to get an anterior cervical discectomy because i was having a i had a herniated disc in my neck Mm, and so my boss was really he was so cool he's like look get your surgery we're gonna cover you you know, you got till October, and then you know, then I have to let you go. So he was being real cool about it because this is like August. Okay. He's gonna, I'm covering you from August, September, October. I'm like, thank you. So I go have my surgery, and I'm thinking, okay, this is gonna work out. I'll have some time after I get the surgery to go look for a job. You know, it'll be it'll be okay. So I go have the surgery. Everything goes fine, but I end up getting pneumonia. So I'm like, I've got pneumonia. I'm like, I don't have time to look for a job. And so I am freaking out at this point. I can't sleep, mm. and I'm pacing the floors. Well, by this time, you know, kind of going back to my story about becoming a Christian, by this time, I'm a committed Christian. I'm now, you know, God is sort of on the throne of my life. And so I'm pacing the floor at 3 o'clock in the morning. I'm watching this show on PBS called The Farmer's Wife. And it's a show about how tenuous it is in farming and how they're just on the verge of losing everything every season. And I'm getting depressed. I'm like, oh, my God, you know, this, these poor people are about to lose their farming. I'm about to lose everything. And I'm patient. Like, God, what is going on, you know? And so I'm kind of fussing at God a little bit about it. And I, he, he was like, you're not, you're not dependent on me. 
You know, what have I told you? What have I told you? Mm. I told you to lay this at the foot of my cross and I'll take care of this. Wow. And I'm like, you did tell me that. I said, here you go, God. And I just kind of unburdened myself of it. And you always hear about people saying that there's a peace mm-hmm. that you can't explain. That's exactly what it was like. Beautiful. I laid it down and I was like, oh my gosh, I'm, I'm at peace about this. I kid you not. I went to bed. I wake up. I'm still recuperating from pneumonia. I've still got the neck brace. I wake up the next day, and a girl that I had gone to college with, I haven't talked to her since college. She calls me and says, hey, Dean, it's Sherry. I heard you're looking for a job. I'm like, I didn't, I didn't know how she made that. I don't know how she what? did it. I'm like, yeah, I am looking for a job. She goes, man, I got some great guys over here. They're really needing somebody. They're doing something similar to what you're doing. They were doing um, insurance defense work. Hmm. When can you meet them? I said, well, I'm I'm kind of in a bind right now. We're in a neck brace. I can't drive or anything. She said, well, just call them. So I called the I called the guys and I'm like, hey, I'm really interested. And I said, here's my suit. We go, well, can you come meet us at Jason's Deli? And I'm like, well, I said, yeah, I can, I'll make it work. You know, I said, because I didn't tell them about all my situations. Yeah. So I called my mom. I'm like, hey, mom, <laughs> can you drive me to Jason's Deli in, in Beaumont? You know, we're living in Needle. And she goes, well, yeah, sure I can. So my mom puts me in the car. I put my suit on. I try to get my, my shirt around my neck as much as possible. And I show up at Jason's Deli, and there's Mitch Templeton, Kent Chambers, and Randy Cashiola. They're, and they're sitting there and, you know, kind of yucking it up. And, and uh, they, they get out of the car at the same time I do. And like, who's in the car? They said, that's my mom. <laughs> Your mom? I had to explain to them. I just had surgery, but yes, you know. yes. So we talked from... They looked at my resume. They kind of asked me a few questions. And all of a sudden, uh, it, it, it shifts from talking about the law to we start talking about the Bible. Because oh. if you know these guys, oh, yeah, okay. they're all you know just awesome guys, committed Christians, right. just wonderful guys. In fact, my Ken Chambers is, Mitch is a judge. Mm. Ken's running for judge right now. And Randy's a deacon in the Catholic Church. Just super good guys. All right. So we end up talking about the Bible. And and they and Ken starts asking me about, um, what do I think about divorce? So I say, well, I think about divorce like Paul thinks about divorce. And so I start, we start talking about the divorce from, from a biblical standpoint and everything. And we got into it. Well, next thing I know, they go, hey, man, you know, yeah, we'd like to have you. And so not only do I get a new job, I get a, I get a raise and I I get to work with some great guys. And on top of that, it was kind of odd because they had just bought this building on Broadway and they had sent out this announcement of their new building. And I saw the picture and thought, man, I would love to work at a place like that. You know, well, the next thing you know, I show up on the Monday that it's time for you to work and I'm working at, on Broadway with these great guys, you know. OK. And they were my partners for many, many years. And, uh, you know, they were the ones that were my partners up until um, they became judges and retired and did all these all these things and then kind of left me, you know, with with the Brinkley Law Firm, which is where I'm at now. Okay. So you had asked about how I got from doing that to where I'm at now. And so, where are you now? That, where are you now? What do you so, do now? So right now, my primary focus is on probate, estate planning, okay. and doing real estate. And the okay. real estate came about through um, through the through the probate and through mm-hmm. trying to trying to address impediments to title mm-hmm. that were caused because people hadn't handled their probate business right. So okay. I kind of got into that industry and that's primarily what I'm doing. Okay. There's some other side things that, that I do um, that kind of relate back to my prior you know, experiences, mm-hmm. but that's what I'm doing now. And the way that we got there is um, 
whenever the insurance, there was some case law that came down that changed the way that um, these insurance companies dealt with us attorneys. Mm -hmm. And it looked like uh, it was going to be pretty tenuous and we're going to lose some of the work that we were doing. Mm -hmm. And I had kind of been looking around at the age of the population, looking at what was happening, and I thought, you know what? There's this big, massive transfer of wealth that's going from this generation that's passing to this next generation. Mm -hmm. And there's all kind of family issues that are going on. And, and I, I need to learn about this. Mm -hmm. And so I just set a course to learn about estate planning and probate with an eye towards kind of moving in that direction. Absolutely. And sure enough, that's what happened. You know, okay. I ended up, I ended up um, moving in that direction and uh, over time have just, that's become the, the area that I'm most familiar with. Yeah, okay. So, so how long have you been operating the law firm that you have now? Since two, since Mitch became a judge, and so I think that was like 2019, I've been operating the Brinkley Law Firm. Very good. Before then, it was it was Templeton and Brinkley, and before that, it was a bunch of other names of the guys that have become judges. Steve Thomas, he's a judge now in Hardin County. Okay. Yeah, okay. Uh, we, you know, we've all uh, uh, George Bean was one of my great partners who I love dearly, and he um, is retired and moved on to the Hill Country, and so. Okay. Through attrition, I'm yeah. the last man standing in okay. the firm, I guess you'd say. Yeah, well, I mean, how fortunate. I mean, they more or less, uh, yeah. uh, I presume they brought you in as more of the young man. Yeah. Who almost kind of became uh, like a succession. You know, they moved forward, yeah. which is kind of is a similar language to the type of law you do now anyway, yeah. which is a lot of a lot of that estate plan. Right. A lot of that various, you know, looking forward to what's right. coming. Yeah. How interesting. Yeah. Okay. I'm forever indebted to them for bringing me on, and they're great partners, and I still love them all dearly. Indeed. That's good. So good. you were working your way up to becoming a person who protects generational wealth. Would well, you Would you say that's correct? Really, I think what it was, was um, I wanted to help people kind of plan for that. Because, you know... A lot of the elderly people were being were being taken advantage of. Mm -hmm. um, you had when, when you don't plan, especially when you when you're dealing with assets, it gets messy. It causes yes. relationships to be strained. Mm -hmm. And so my goal was always to try to make it orderly mm -hmm. and to try to keep people from.